Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. So for today's episode, we had a surprise topic in what originally was intended to be a short review of the Met's current cast of Don Giovanni. Uh, We very quickly got carried away into what became a full-length episode that you're about to listen to. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) yes, with that, we hope you enjoy The Greatest Night at the Opera Ever. Ever. So, Naomi, last night you were at the season premiere performance of Don Giovanni at the Met. I was, that is correct. And I personally am dying to know what your thoughts are. I've been, from afar, very excited about this casting. Mm. And so, I'm jealous. I'm also happy for you that you were there. (laughs) I know that you are the world's biggest Mozart fan. I am one of the world's biggest Mozart fans, indeed. So I thought also our audience might like to know Naomi's take on the current cast of Don Giovanni. All right. Well, since I am one of the world's biggest Mozart fans... (laughs) I am a little biased because I love this work a lot. However, Mm -hmm. I'm also very critical because I love this work a lot. And so I have to say that when I give this particular praise, I'm not giving it lightly. This was my best night ever at the Met. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Are you super jealous now? I'm happy to hear it, but I just like... Something inside of me dies when you say that. And I'm like, oh. It was my best night ever. It was To me, it was the best thing that's been on stage that I've seen in my whole opera going life, basically. Oh, my gosh. that's That in of itself is a huge statement because you've seen a lot of opera on the Met stage. I we have. We were just discussing. You have been doing work with the Met Opera Guild for eight years. So you have at least <laughs> eight years of experiences to match this against. And it's the best. Yes, it was by far like I'm trying to think what other performances I've seen that for me are like my top three best nights at the opera. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm thinking about it, like there aren't certain nights that like stand out to me just as much <laughs> as this one. This was so good it washed all of the others away. It really did. It really did. Like there were certain things that for me were like a huge thing to see them. And so, of course, my first night ever at the Met was like a dream come true. So like that stands out mm-hmm. in my mind. What um, did you see? I saw La Traviata and I saw the old Zeffirelli production. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I think I saw it within, like, the first two weeks of moving to New York City. (laughs) Really? Do you remember who the cast was? Not a clue. Not a clue. I remember nothing really about who was singing. Um, Mm -hmm. But I remember the set, and I remember, like, the feeling of being in the Met for the first time. And um, Where did you sit? I sat in the orchestra. It was, like, the only single ticket that was left. It was crazy, sold out. Um, I don't remember exactly That's where, right. 
But was this the last time that that production was running? It was the last season. I don't think it was the last production or the last performance, but it was the last season that that production was on stage at the Met. Yeah. And people probably knew that at the time, I would guess. I would think so. Um, Yeah. I don't think the red dress Traviata came for a couple of years after that. So I think there was a Mm -hmm. bit of a break when Traviata wasn't on the stage. Mm -hmm. But that Traviata, the red dress Traviata did exist at that point in time in Salzburg. So... It's funny that you say the red dress Traviata because I think of it as the clock Traviata. The clock Traviata, yes. Or yeah. it's actually Willie Decker's production. Right. That, yeah. that is most accurate. Yes, the, the most <laughs> accurate description. Um, do you want to know what my first opera at the Met was? I do. I feel like I should know this about you and I don't. It was when I was in college, um, I actually was on a choir tour in new york and i mm. saw uh madama butterfly oh wow and yeah that was great i was in standing room tickets <laughs> okay <laughs> standing standing room at the back of the orchestra mm-hmm. that's the one and only time that i've done that mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know that i'll ever do it again <laughs> uh, but it was really great being at the met i don't remember who was singing but uh placido domingo was conducting Oh, that's exciting. So that was that was pretty fun and special. And it was the most recent. It's like the current mm. Met Madama Butterfly. Who's that production by? Um, oh, what is his it's name? Like, it's right at the tip of my tongue. I cannot remember. Yeah. It's so beautiful, though. And I know like it the is. story behind that production is also kind of crazy. Because um, if you're going to have a production of any opera at the Met... You need mm-hmm. like a good five-year gestation period. And so it, there's quite a bit that goes into it because not every opera company or house is like this, but at the Met, everything is made in-house for a production, like all the sets, mm-hmm. all the costumes. Um, everything's built basically on-premises or in big warehouses like up in the Bronx or New Jersey if they have really big set pieces that they need a lot more space for. Mm-hmm. But... So because all of the design, all of the conception, all of the building happens in-house, you it's like a hyper-organized system that is spread over multiple years in order to get the designs and the dimensions and the plans and make sure everything works with the stage machinery and that kind of thing. And seasons are planned like five to seven years out, what they're going to be doing. And mm-hmm. so there is a long process that goes into it. And I believe the story with that Madama Butterfly was that when the current general manager, Peter Gelb, was brought on, he looked at the season that he had inherited in his first full season as general manager, and he was looking at it like a year beforehand and said, it's missing something. I really want a new production of Madama Butterfly. And everyone said, there's no way that you can do that. Like, we don't, we have a year at best to produce one. That's insane. And Mm -hmm. I believe he was very confident that it could be done. And because it was a short time period, they had to be very strategic about the approach to the design, right? Like it couldn't have too many giant set pieces. It couldn't be too complicated. It couldn't be too expensive. And the result was just this brilliant thing that's like a feast for the eyes in terms of color and costuming and lighting and like simplistic designs that really had a dramatic effect. And so it really kind of holds this special place in history. I don't know if this is an official fact, but something like like one of the most quickly produced new productions in our kind of modern era of opera on the Met stage. So, yeah, that's that's amazing. I didn't know that story. Yeah, this is the is it the Anthony Minghella? Yes, that's production? his name, Anthony Minghella. Okay. Yeah, I had I had to look that up. I didn't know that off the top of my head. Oh, I'm so impressed. But um, <laughs> yeah, at my <laughs> looking up skills. Yeah. No, I I thought you pulled it out of thin air. So. Oh right. <laughs> yes, but that so that was my first experience, and I was of course absolutely blown away. You were exactly right. This it's it's a feast for the eyes, and it's it's an ingenious way that they do the production it's it's actually pretty simple Mm -hmm. but it's striking uh and certainly memorable for sure and 
there's that beautiful scene when um, Butterfly is coming up the hill with all mm-hmm. of her like female friends and family and they're kind of ascending the hill it's in act one and you hear them coming the humming chorus and they Mm -hmm. use this massive mirror that's suspended across the stage so that there's an angle such that you can see all of them coming like reflected in the mirror and Mm -hmm. oh it's so amazing it's really brilliantly done but yeah yeah. well we'll link to that some way if we can find it we'll link to it yeah uh, on we'll, the website we'll have some pictures or something it's really great mm-hmm. um but that's a good first night at the met i think that's pretty yeah. dramatic so <laughs> yeah it, it worked out i and i thought i was all fancy i ordered champagne and then the joke was on me because it was 19 dollars a glass that's right pink champagne at the met is not uh not cheap so (laughs) no it was not i just had like no frame of reference also not living in new york at the time (laughs) just how expensive one drink could be right and it was yes okay so we know what your first uh experience at the met was right i'm trying to think of other productions that like stick in my mind as being in my top three best nights ever and most of the time it's tied to like the opera itself being a a big thing for me like Eugene Mm -hmm. Onyegin when I saw Anna Netrebko and Mari Shkvichin sing it it was like unlike anything I'd ever seen um Bluebeard's Castle that production is just that night sticks in my mind but Mm -hmm. this one is definitely like number one in terms of being the most solid performance and most engaging interpretation of a work that I had seen in a really long time. Yeah, that's. I think that's what excites me in hearing you talk about this is that it just overall, it seems like overall, I'll, I mean, that, that Don Giovanni production at the Met is a fun production. But it's very uh, traditional. It's, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not crazy in any way. Like, the costumes yeah. are, they're beautifully done, but they're very straightforward. The set is actually quite mm-hmm. minimal, but still in a traditional way. Yeah. So it's not like there's a whole lot of bells and whistles going on in the stage design to... But it is, it's on a turntable, right? It is on a turntable, yeah. I feel like the use of the turntable is pretty is pretty good. It is, uh, yeah. It's It's interesting in these, in these specific... Um, these two productions that we're talking about, the Madama Butterfly and now Don Giovanni, that they're they're actually quite simple, but done really well. Yes, yes. Well, uh, it it plays into my my own personal theory about opera generally. Um, mm-hmm. We love opera sometimes because of the sets and the costumes. It's like this incredibly grand experience, especially when you go to the Met. It's a very grand experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however. When at the end of the day, if the opera is sung well, it almost, and if the music, if the interpretation musically is really cohesive, sung well, if the orchestra is like on top of it, it almost doesn't matter what is going on on stage. It doesn't matter what they're wearing. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the set looks like. You're so in it because of the music mm-hmm. that that everything else kind of fades away. At least for me, that's what it's like. And certain operas, I think, where I personally am not as in love with the music mm-hmm. itself, then I want something really engaging on stage because I need that extra something to pull me in. But yeah. I think sometimes even like a really standout performance of a score that I'm not the biggest fan of can convert me to kind of everything else zoning out and just focusing on the music itself. But the music yeah. and the acting, like the singing and the acting, if that's really great if they knock it out of the park then everything else fades away for me yeah i feel like my most memorable moments at the met at least are tied to specific singers Mm. and maybe doing specific roles although the the two that come to my mind are they're a little bit cheesy um (laughs) one was the singing the pearl fishers with matthew Polinsani mm. and Mariusz Kwieszyn, mm-hmm. where that like, and it's more so in the moment that they're singing the Pearl Fishers duet. Mm-hmm. I, you, you just have a moment of like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. Like, I feel so lucky that I'm able to witness this in person, like in this moment. This moment is so great. 
Yes, that duet with those two was incredible to see it live. So right, mm-hmm. and that was also that was a a great production. Um, that one was a little bit more elaborate because they it had was. you know projections and actual pearl fishers suspended. Yes, <laughs> you know, they had diving. aerialists that did yeah, all yeah. kinds of beautiful faux diving in the water suspended mm-hmm. from aerial uh harnesses and things like that and cables i also then think of i don't know why this one stands out to me but it is uh romeo and juliet with vittorio grigolo and diana damrau oh that was beautiful once again it just it comes down to the the little moments and i'm i always forget the name of the tenor aria uh the first Uh, one yeah Allevé toi soleil. Yes. specifically at least at that time i'm sure he would still do it now too vittorio grigolo just nailed it mm, like mm-hmm. he really just killed it and diana damrau was singing juliet she had a wonderful performance so it's just yet again another one of those times where you're like this is so special to be here in this moment actually vittorio grigolo also is part of one of my other all-time favorite moments at the met Really? And that is, I saw a production where he was singing in the Tales of Hoffman. Mm-hmm. And I adore that opera. And oh, me too. The, he was just so amazing. He sung with like wild abandon. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. But the, so he was part of what made it so great. But the other part was, I remember, I think it was Olga Peretyatko was singing mm-hmm. um, Antonia. I think it was her. Though I'm not okay. 100% sure. And usually in that opera, the Antonia act is when I kind of like zone out because it's so long and it's kind of slow. All of right. the tempos are slow. And the music's beautiful, a, but it's like it drags a, a little. Huge, not a huge fan of that act in general. Right. And so I just remember for some reason that performance mm-hmm. where he was singing Hoffman, she was Antonia, when that act started like from the moment it started i was like really in it and when their duet were like it builds up and builds up and you know that she's gonna you know that she's gonna die spoiler alert um i started <laughs> to get for like taking a pause <laughs> right <laughs> i started to get really emotional i started to cry because i was like mm-hmm. she's gonna die and she loves him so much and right. i was just like sniffling and actually sobbing in my seat and my husband was like are you okay <laughs> <laughs> is everything all right is everything all right and i'm like it's fine it's just her singing is so beautiful and she's gonna die <laughs> he's like what What am i not getting here yeah. <laughs> i thought it was pretty good right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so that's another one of my all-time favorite nights at the met but Right. Don Giovanni well, 
I know. Now Opening built- night of the season premiere 2019. Yes. Uh, for we me, so much suspense. Made history in my own personal archive of opera going. Um, it was phenomenal. So the first thing that was phenomenal, I am a huge fan of Luca Pizzaroni. He's you a, are. I am too. Yeah. You, he, I think you especially are, which I love I, him. I appreciate that about you. Because I mean he's a big name. He's a he's a famous name, but mm-hmm. I I feel like his name still isn't as recognizable to like people on the fringe as much as it should be. <laughs> and he also Yeah, because he doesn't right now, he's not singing the kinds of roles that get you the kind of attention that Vittorio Grigolo gets. Like, first mm-hmm. of all, he's a bass baritone, and we all know that the bass baritone, <laughs> like, almost never gets the girl. They wah, never get wah. the heroic part, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they they are never the ones, aside from, like, Eugene Onegin, they're not the characters in the opera that you, like, fall for and fall in love with. Um, mm-hmm. But generally speaking, because of that, people that are singers that are tenors male singers that are tenors, they tend to get these like heartthrob roles. And Luca mm-hmm. Pizzaroni, just because of the type of voice he has, he doesn't get to sing a lot of heartthrobs, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's really only if you are a big fan of Mozart that you would have come across him in the past like decade or so because he has sung a ton of Mozart. Yeah. Um, and for me, he was like my all-time favorite Leporello in Don Giovanni right. for a long time. He is Italian, so he understands uh-huh. the language extremely well. And because of that, his comedy was always so spot on and perfect. Like, mm-hmm. he was the perfect comic Leporello because he was so funny and just so, such a jokester and a ham on stage. Right. So this is, it's his first Don Giovanni, correct? Correct, yes. That's, see, I was so excited to see that because... As you said, I had seen him as Leporello, which was fantastic. But it, so it's so interesting then to see him make that transition to Don Giovanni. Right. And so I first started noticing that he was taking on slightly heavier roles or more demanding roles um, when I noticed that he made the the leap to singing the Count in the Nozze di Figaro. Oh. Right. Because mm-hmm. for a long time, I only really saw him sing Leporello. That was, he was like the Mets Leporello for years. And then he took on the role of the Count. And I wasn't sure how I would feel about that because the Count is supposed to be this like super sleazy kind of guy, right? And (laughs) Leporello is this very comic character. So I'm so used to seeing him in this comic role. What would it be like to see him in this very serious, very like sleazy, for lack of a better word, uh, Count role? And... Mm -hmm. I think he did great as the Count. I really liked him, but he still wasn't like my all-time favorite Count of all time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if I have a favorite Count of all time, so it's not really a fair... (laughs) How could you? uh, It's not really a fair thing to say. He's such a sleaze. You can't have a favorite. (laughs) Right. And And then he had sung other roles other places that I noticed were getting a little bit more demanding and heavier. And then he moved into Don Giovanni. And I noticed that he was preparing for Don Giovanni at the Met. And I was really excited to see what he would do with it. And again, I had a little bit of apprehension because I was so used to him as the comic Leporello. Mm -hmm. But he was the most dark and dangerous and like elegantly manipulative elegantly manipulative Don Giovanni that I've ever seen. Um, wow. It, like, it, it, this is a compliment, Luca. Like, it creeped me out. <laughs> and so, I, and that was what made that. it so great. It made it so mm-hmm. great because he was so suave and charming. And also I found the character of Don Giovanni can be played many, many ways. And over history, we have kind of eras in which it's played different ways the interpretations of this opera have gone through quite an interesting evolution i would say Mm -hmm. and for a long time don giovanni was played as like this machismo kind of um pompous arrogant guy who all the women just like fainted at his feet but there was nothing really about him and the way he moved or interacted with them that made it so irresistible it's just Mm -hmm. like he stood there and sang and then the women would fall at his feet right Mm -hmm. um and so with his Don Giovanni, I felt like 
you could really see moments where this character was like maybe frightened. Like in the Commendatore scene, there was a moment where like fear would flash across his face and then this like stubborn arrogance would replace it. And mm-hmm. so you could kind of see a very real person uh, behind his interpretation. And he was appropriately aggressive, I would say, mm-hmm. um, with how he interacted with the women as well, where uh, you could tell that this character and this man in his interpretation of this story or in this production's interpretation, he was very physically, sexually aggressive with the women. And the women, in response, they were not like just falling at his feet. They weren't mm-hmm. just like swooning and being like, oh, take me now. <laughs> right? Like right, right. They were obviously attracted to him because he's so suave and manipulative and elegant. But then when they would reject his advances, he would get a little bit aggressive and like angry aggressive because of mm-hmm. their rejection. And so it just made it all the more real that there was this tense uh, connection between these people. And... So I felt, but it wasn't grotesque. It wasn't like, it wasn't uh, too over the top or too overt. It was, Mm -hmm. I think, like done in a very real, but also tasteful way, if that's possible. So. Yeah. Just like a realistic portrayal, which I, I think is really special, especially when it's done in one of these opera classics. Yes. Where somebody takes the character and they make it, believable and in today's world that's when you know you're seeing a really great acting singer right and he didn't like some don giovanni's i've seen they kind of just like parade around the stage like a peacock almost (laughs) and 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 there's this expectation that women will fall at their feet and they're kind Mm -hmm. of a suave seducer but he was much more complex like this is a person who obviously like struggles with anger and struggles with Mm-hmm. many different things and so is acting because out because of those particular i think deeper problems that they have if that makes sense mm-hmm. um and i think that so he and his singing was just so awesome it was right He's so awesome vocally fantastic he is but it's it is a bigger role than leporello so you Mm -hmm. can tell that his voice is kind of growing in a particular direction and maturing in a certain way and Mm -hmm. um and if you watch him over the course of his career the types of roles he's taken on let's say in the past six or seven years he's very like strategic and kind of like slow and steady wins the race right Mm -hmm. So he very slowly moved into bigger roles and kind of strategically taking them on when his voice had grown a little bit to do so and and so that was really exciting to hear because the voice just sounded so amazing and um and was like full and powerful and present um Mm -hmm. paired with this incredible acting was really special and kind of on top of that his interaction with his leporello was also amazing and his leporello was ildar abrazakov So I feel like he does get more of that like big name notoriety. So then to see him build as the Leporello, like the supporting character, it's like that. I feel like that's your big, your first big tip off that like, okay, holy cow, this is this is going to be an amazing cast. Yes. If you if you have this big of a name as your supporting, like Mm -hmm. bass baritone role, then you're you're on a 
on the right track. Oh, yeah, because Ildar has sung things like Escamillo in Carmen, and he's done mm-hmm. things like, um, he's done a ton of Belcanto-ish stuff. He did uh, the uh, L'Italiana in Algeria. Yeah. yeah. He sang Mustafa, right? That was the character's mm-hmm. name in that, which is a really big bel canto comic role. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sung Figaro a lot. He's right. done. Um, I'm trying to think if he's ever been in Barber of Seville. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Not that I've seen anyway. But um, and he's also done some other Russian stuff. Like he has that Russian album that's out. Um, mm-hmm. And so he's just done a lot of bigger roles, you could say. And so for him to kind of be interested and willing to play Leporello to someone else's Don Giovanni is really special. But I think mm-hmm. it showed how good the relationship is between these two singers, between mm-hmm. Luca and Ildar, because they were a dynamic duo in terms of how they interacted. And Ildar was such a ham. Oh my goodness. I he was an that. amazing Leporello. What a ham. Oh, that's great. So he was fantastic. Um, and again, sounded just incredible. Like Ildar mm-hmm. sounded great. And But the other thing that made this Don Giovanni so special was Don Giovanni is, even though the title of the opera is a single character's name and he's the main focus, the opera as a whole really is an ensemble opera, mm-hmm. right? You have Zerlina and Mazzetto, who are like the, the peasant characters. Mm-hmm. You have Donna Anna and Donna Tavio. They're kind of coupled up. And... Mm-hmm. Then Donna Elvira is sort of like the couple that belongs with Don Giovanni because mm-hmm. the history is that like a day or two before the curtain rises in the story, um, Don Giovanni had seduced Donna Elvira and either married her or fake married her and then <laughs> like conned her into believing that they were husband and wife and then after a few days of having fun with her took off. And so mm-hmm. she was like in pursuit of her love to find him. And she, throughout the whole opera, is not blind to who he is as a person and how he's really a horrible person and a cheater and a liar and a manipulator, (laughs) right? Um, But she believes that there's good in him and she's, like, determined to try and convince him to abandon his philandering ways and, Mm -hmm. and be with her. And so you have this cast of six plus the commendatore, uh, who is... Donna Anna's father. So in order to make this opera truly special, you need, I think, equal power, ability, types of voices across the ensemble. So Mm -hmm. most Don Giovanni's, when you see the opera, there's like one or two characters that are kind of like the weak link. Their voices are maybe not as big as the other singers. They're perhaps not as experienced. Their acting is not as refined. Like there's... Often there's just at least one or two people where they're not clicking with the rest of the ensemble or they're not balanced Mm -hmm. with the ensemble. But this production, it felt like it was so perfectly balanced across the board. Like all of the the voices were the same strength. Mm -hmm. And so they could really balance each other beautifully in the ensemble numbers. Um, They also, I think their character interpretations and their acting skills were very strong. And so... Mm -hmm. Again, there wasn't like one person that stood out as being a little less developed than the others in terms of their idea for the character. And so because of that, it just felt like like such a strong uh, uh, ensemble approach right out of the gate. It was like they were mm-hmm. all clicking. They were together. They knew exactly what to do. And like they were all on the same page about what they were presenting in terms of the interpretation of the opera as well. Um, Another really interesting thing that often happens is Donna Anna's character, um, who last night was sung by Rachel Willis Sorensen, who was Mm. a phenomenal Donna Anna. Her voice just blew me away. Um, She, so with this character, oftentimes it's portrayed as if Donna Anna kind of willingly had some kind of affair or tete-a-tete with Don Giovanni that he eventually took advantage of, but Mm -hmm. that she really was complicit in the whole thing. And then when Donna Tavio finds out um, that this happened, she kind of spins it as being taken advantage of Mm -hmm. so as not to lose face with Donna Tavio. Um, Right. 
that's a very common interpretation of her part in, I would say, in the past 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this production, they really didn't play it that way. They really made it such that when the opera opens, Donna Anna is in her bedroom with Don Giovanni. And the kind of backstory is that she thought that the person who was entering her room in like the dead of night was Donna Tavio, who is her like betrothed her betrothed her fiance Mm -hmm. and so she kind of willingly lets this person come in because she believes it's the person that she's in love with Mm -hmm. and then it turns out that in the process of whatever they're doing they find she figures out that it's not donna tavio Mm -hmm. and at that point she starts like screaming and making a big scene and it's unclear in that opening scene if don giovanni rapes her or if he just Mm -hmm. um you know, tries to get her to convince her to go along with it or right. um, if he assaults her, like what the exact level of their interaction is um, because the music opens right when she's trying to get rid of him, essentially. Right, right. And so they're like at the balcony and then because of all the commotion, her father comes out and her and then Don Giovanni ends up getting into a duel with him and mm-hmm. ends up killing him, right? Stabs him stabs him and then after the commendatory falls down dead don giovanni flees he's been wearing a mask this whole time so like donna anna doesn't know exactly who he is and Mm donna tavio comes onto the scene and then they make this plan to try and find the killer so in this production donna anna was played as really honest to goodness not realizing that it was don giovanni when right. he entered her room and then being legitimately upset and tortured about the fact that it wasn't Don Ottavio and legitimately traumatized by him assaulting her, which he does because he really tries to force himself on her. Um, yeah. And then it also in turn makes it so that her interaction with Don Ottavio through the rest of the opera is much more authentic to me. Like, yes. Because if she's complicit in this whole thing with don giovanni then she spends the whole opera feeling guilty right Mm -hmm. and kind of being two-faced with don ottavio but when she actually um really legitimately was not at fault in this per se or was not Mm -hmm. deliberately conning don ottavio then it makes their interactions as this betrothed who's trying to avenge his fiance it makes it much more believable to me their relationship is more believable and don ottavio doesn't come across as this like fool that has the wool pulled over his eyes right Right. i feel like that would add a ton to watching this opera because if i'm being honest usually my big complaint with this opera is that i find that donna anna and uh, don ottavio are just so boring like (laughs) it's this like Don Ottavio is like kind of a wet blanket and you just, you don't have any reason to like him or care about anything that he says. And I think you've hit the nail on the head where it's, it's set up by the fact that you're led to believe, well, like, well, this woman, she doesn't even like you that much. I don't know. (laughs) You know, right. uh, why am I? Why, like, do I why are you torturing you? yourself and why are you torturing us with all your whining Seriously, when she doesn't like, even like do, you? Why do I have to hear you sing an aria for eight minutes when this is like a relationship that I don't care about? Yes. So that I feel like what you've just described would be far more interesting. Yes. And I also personally, I I think that it makes, for me, it made me admire Don Ottavio more because this mm-hmm. is a person who... Like his fiance has been assaulted and instead of like calling her a whore and like right. disregarding her, he's like, I love you and I'm going to avenge you. And right. like he's willing to do whatever it takes to, he wants to make it right. He wants to make it better for her. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that like takes a bigger man in many ways than, and takes a bigger person than just assuming that she was somehow to blame in the situation. Right. right? right. And I also think that I really don't like the approach of like, well, all the women in Don Giovanni, in the opera Don Giovanni, like they all kind of want it, right? Right. That to me is just like, it turns my stomach because it's like, you know, not all women are like agentless in this opera. Like Mm -hmm. they, if you look at their text and you look at their music, they're not just like, you know, 
blank sheets that just as soon as he walks on stage, they just fall over and be like, whatever you want, right? Like, I think they are actually three-dimensional people and they might be lured in a little bit, but they're also a little bit afraid. They're a little bit intrigued sometimes. Sometimes they are just outright manipulated and assaulted. And sometimes they are trying to reject his advances from the get-go. And so... Mm-hmm. I like that it doesn't take, this production didn't take the approach of like, well, they all really want it in the end. Because that to me is just like, you know, such a, I don't know, it just seems like such a victim blaming way of going about this opera. So I loved this interpretation that to really see the relationships have a lot more depth and nuance than that. Definitely. So if I'm being completely honest what first drew my attention to this production of Don Giovanni was the Met premiere of a certain soprano. Oh, I think I know. (laughs) (laughs) Have you, have you gained a second opera girlfriend? Um, not necessarily. Although I'm, I'm intrigued by this is Aida Garifu. Fulina? Is that her last name? That's how I pronounce it. Gadi Fulina. Yeah, she's a, I believe she's Russian. I don't know exactly what her cultural heritage is because her last name would suggest that she's Italian. Right, right. That is a very good point. Right. However, I think that Russia has a big part to do with her getting her start in opera. Ah, that's true. I don't know why I assumed that she was Russian. Do you know the story behind her start in opera? No, but before you tell me... Yes, tell me why you were so intrigued by her. Well, the, the, the whole reason that I even discovered who she was was because of the FIFA World Cup this past <laughs> summer. What? Which, which was in Russia, mm-hmm. and they did this big opening concert that had uh on a netrebko i think uh yusuf was in it um i think i think ildar was in it if unless i'm making probably probably i didn't see this but i would assume so because like i know that he is friends with anna netrebko and yusuf ivazov oh right he definitely was because there was mm -hmm. like this weird finale where i think i posted about it also within opera after dark but there was this weird finale where they were like dancing it was strange (laughs) um but like placido was was singing in this uh and also aida garifulina was singing in this and it was the first time I'd ever heard of her. And hmm. I, of course, had heard of every single other singer in the program. Right. So I was like, who is this? And she sounded great. And, of course, she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So it's. I was like, where did she come from? And then, yeah, I think I found her on Instagram and was following. She has, like, a ton of followers. Mm-hmm. So, but then at that time, like, had looked into it, and she hadn't been at the Met Right. So now knowing that this was her Met debut last night where you were present. Yes, I was. That was pretty cool. So what what's the story with how she got her start? Well, before I tell you the story, I will say that she, so she was singing Zerlina, which is uh-huh. like the peasant girl role in the opera. And mm-hmm. we meet Zerlina like on her wedding day to Mazzetto. And Mazzetto mm-hmm. was sung by one of the I think one of the Lindemann Young Artists or graduates of the Lindemann Young Artist program, uh, Brandon Sadel or Sedel, C E D E L. And mm-hmm. his chemistry with Zerlina, they were just so adorable and so believable. And like mm-hmm. Mazetto is kind of a problematic character because he is a character who in the score, like he jumps to conclusions very quickly about Zerlina and so Mm -hmm. he'll say things to her that are rather horrible Um, however I think he did the very best you can do with that character in making him a believable interesting um, adorable but also um, like adorable slash um, like angry jilted lover because he does get (laughs) pushed around a lot by Laparello and Don Giovanni. And I think Mm -hmm. that instead of playing him like he was 
just kind of like, oh, okay, I'll just go this way if they tell me to go this way. (laughs) Instead of playing the kind of bumbling fool that often he is kind of typecast as because it Mm -hmm. is a based on Commedia dell'arte stock characters. He, to me, was a lot more just believable as a person who's like, there's this guy who's clearly going after his wife and he's a little bit disempowered because of his social status. And so there's not a whole lot he can do about it, but he's doing the best he can do given the mm-hmm. situation. Um, so he was great. And their chemistry together was just adorable in their scenes where they like make up after they fought and that kind of thing. Very nice. Yeah. So the story. But most importantly, how was Aida? Aida. She was great. Um, she was a really, her voice is very pretty. It's And it really, I think her interpretation of Zerlina also was very much my jam. Like Zerlina is another character that is often played like she's just waiting for the next best, the, the better thing to come along. And Mazetto's mm-hmm. just like a placeholder until the better thing comes along. And mm-hmm. I really liked that that was not the route they took with it. It was much more that she clearly loved Mazetto, but when you are a little, again, disempowered and kind of have no control in the situation and you're presented with this very suave, manipulative other person, Don Giovanni, mm-hmm. she's kind of like almost like feeling her way in the dark trying to figure out how to deal with this person, especially when he is quite charming and quite seductive and, and then what do you do? <laughs> I thought also that her movements on stage um, Mm. were quite engaging. Like she, this is not going to sound complimentary, but she kind of flitted around a lot, um, (laughs) (laughs) which I think worked a lot for the character. Like there's just a lot of energy in how she moved and that type of thing. So, Mm -hmm. um, and she looked beautiful. Like just, she really did kind of sparkle in the part, if that makes sense. Um, so do you think this is the start of a long Met Opera career? I think it certainly could be. I am not super familiar with her voice, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure what she would do next. But I think there's when you start with Zerlina, there's lots of room to grow. And a Zerlina that's strong, I think there's all kinds of roles that she could take on i would love to hear more from her i'd love to hear recordings of her and mm-hmm. love to see her do has, other things yeah i think she has a couple of recordings out there mm-hmm. um and i do i also feel like the met just posted a, that she was featured in people magazine oh wow yeah That's crazy. I, need, I still need to read that that article but yeah it was like you know the the met's newest soprano mm. with an operatic name and movie star looks so that she has yeah i'll have to check out the article we will also link to that right at the website uh so what's the story i'm curious so i have not read this or researched it so i'm merely gonna tell you what (laughs) i heard it is hearsay yes um i was at the opera with one I was at the opera last night with one of my longtime, very dear friends who mm-hmm. 
I started graduate school with. We were in the same class together when we started. And she oh, is nice. now a doctor, which is very exciting. Um, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Can a shout out? Or do you sure. not feel comfortable? No, no. Um, I was at the opera with my dear friend Aya. Aya, if you're listening, you're the best opera date. So. <laughs> and Aya and I were actually at the opera twice this week together. Oh, she was my great. date for Iolanta Bluebeard's Castle on Monday. Nice. What a lucky gal. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, well, I'm lucky to lucky, have such a yeah. willing opera going friend. So, uh-huh. <laughs> and Aya, congratulations on becoming a doctor. A, You're doctor a doctor of music, musicology. Yes. Yes. Aya mm. studies really cool stuff. Um, she wrote her dissertation all about the music that is written by fans of science fiction movies television novels that kind of thing oh my uh so it is called filk music for people who are interested in this (laughs) this is somebody who needs to be on opera after dark she's pretty awesome she's pretty cool so i'll see what what we can do um and according to dr aya what's what's aya's last name can we not say according to dr aya (laughs) insert last name here what is the story about Aida Garifulina? The story that she told me was that she was either reading an article interview with Aida or listening to a podcast that Aida was on or a news interview. Somehow mm-hmm. she was consuming an interview and Aida Wait, I think I think I saw via Instagram that Aida was on like Good Morning America or Yeah, I think like that, that might that might have been what it was. Good Morning America. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Aya was watching this and she told me that basically Aida Garifulina was studying music and studying singing and somehow she happened to like be at an event or a concert and she ran into Valery Gergiev. Wow. The absolutely crazy famous Russian maestro. Mm -hmm. And... So she like ran into him or bumped into him somehow. And in a few minutes that she had his attention, she was like, I'm going to sing for you. And she sang for him right there on the spot. And then kind of like a, I've got nothing to lose from Mm -hmm. this. And then apparently like two days later, she got a phone call from the Marinsky Theater in Russia saying like, we want you to come sing. Maestro Gergiev would like you to come and sing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, that's awesome. What a story. Like, take Mm -hmm. some serious guts to do that. So, right. Well, that's the hearsay that I heard. Hearsay. (laughs) Yes. According to Aya via Good Morning America. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't there a story, some kind of dramatic story about Anna Netrebko in the start of her career? Was that it, I, I like don't it, know. I, don't I feel know. like there was a story about how I, this is going to sound absurd, but about how she was like a janitor or like a like a cleaning lady or something like that. I think you're right because I think she did this when she was a student right. to make ends meet before she ever had big roles. Ah, okay. Well, good for her for doing what she needs to do. Yeah. I mean, singing is just such a crazy career, generally, opera singing. And so I feel like everyone has this fascinating, unique tale of how they actually made it to the stage. It's like not not replicable with one person to the other. Mm -hmm. But um, if you if you can do it and if it works for you, then it's it's a really fantastic journey, I think. But yeah, yeah. So you can check out Good Morning America or interviews with Aida Garifulina to try and verify the hearsay. But <laughs> that's what I've that's hearsay. what I've heard. Hearsay. Yes. So who is the rest of our cast then? Who who are we still missing? We need a an Elvira. Donna Elvira was so good. Frederica Lombardi, and it was also her mm. debut as well. Oh wow! Yes, that's yes. fantastic. And then uh, the Commendatore was sung by Stefan Kochan. So that sounds familiar to me. He's done, he done a lot of else? stuff at the Met. Um, oh, really? Perhaps his most famous, and again, 
Commendatore is a, a bassy bass role. So mm-hmm. sometimes a thankless voice type because they don't really get to sing the heartthrobs. Um, oh, yeah, right. Commendatore is badass. Yes, it is. That's like, um, oh, my gosh. My the favorite other... part of the opera. <laughs> yes. I love it. Um, the other badass role that he has sung is Spadafucile in Rigoletto. Oh, yes. Yes. The assassin. Spadafucile. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what about our wet blanket? What about... Donna Tavio <laughs> I say was that just sung... to push your buttons. No. <laughs> Donna Tavio was another Met debut. Wow. Um, yeah, there were three... There were one, two, three, uh, three Met debuts in this cast. So he was the third. And he was sung by a young man with an incredibly great name. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if I butcher it. Um, Stanislav de Barbayak. Ooh, good one. Or Barber, Barbirak, possibly. Could be. Do you know yes. where he's from? I don't know where he's from i should read his bio in the playbill please mm. hold and i can tell you um, what you're gonna need to do is to make sure you safeguard that playbill that's gonna be one <laughs> i'm getting vibes from this performance and your description of it like it's gonna be one of those times where people look back in like 30 years mm. and they're gonna be like oh my gosh i can't believe they had all of those singers in one yes. place to do this performance um, even though, like, for many of them, it's they're very early in their career. He is from France. Ah, okay. I'm not going to butcher the name of the town or city because I cannot speak French all that well. Um, but he is from France. What? <laughs> I know I'm the worst no, Canadian. I, I know some Canadians <laughs> would be really upset with you. I know, I know. I'm sorry, <laughs> Maestro Yannick. Um, oh. so. <laughs> Somewhere Yannick is listening to this and his soul died a little bit inside. I know. I'm not French Canadian, so <laughs> oh, you, just, you just redeemed yourself. <laughs> Hopefully just a modicum of redemption, please. Um, he did Don Giovanni this year for his Met debut, uh, but he's also sung it apparent, or sorry, Don Ottavio for his Met debut. He's also sung it at the Bavarian State Opera and the Paris Opera. Mm. Um he has done Tamino at the Dutch National Opera. So maybe... Excellent. Maybe you came across him when you were in the Der Netherlands. I don't know. It was probably <laughs> after I was there. Okay. But I, we do love the Dutch National Opera, mm-hmm. that's for sure. He's done a bunch of stuff. He's sung Pelias and Pelias and Melisande. He's sung oh. Alfredo in La Traviata. He's wow. done... Um, he's sung Macduff in Macbeth. Um, Very nice. Yeah, so he's done a bunch of stuff. He was great. He was, the thing that I remember most about his voice was that usually when I think of Donatavio, I think of Matthew Polanzani's voice mm. because he's sung, Matthew Polanzani has sung Donatavio many times mm-hmm. uh, at the Met and other places. And he has this like incredibly smooth and lyrical, buttery tenor sound. It's very gentle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, a very... Um, lyrical interpretation of Donatavio and Stanislav de Barbayak, Barbarak, mm-hmm. his voice has a little bit more power and mm. more presence than what you usually expect with Donatavio. And so even the presence of the voice made it such that he couldn't be as wet of a blanket as he sometimes right. <laughs> is because the voice was just too... Um, too dramatic in a way for yeah. you to completely disregard Donatavio. And That's it wasn't good. so dramatic that it wasn't the right fit for the role. It was just a little bit more present than I'm used to. So I was kind of made yeah. you sit up and listen to this guy who sometimes just gets completely disregarded and shoved to the side. So that is good because oftentimes I hear Donatavio and I think, this is pretty. I mm. don't care. Yes. <laughs> so I imagine the extra force would be helpful right the last person who really deserves a shout out mm-hmm. is the maestro who conducted oh my gosh 
Uh, this is a maestro that I was not familiar with before last night. He's German oh. from Hanover. Um, he, I think it says Don Giovanni was his debut at the Met this season. So I guess that's four debuts. Wow. If that's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, his name is Cornelius Meister. Oh, very appropriate. Yes. Uh, Maestro Meister, and yes. he, first of all, completely irrelevant a- <laughs> to everything. His outfit was amazing. What he was had it? he had this great like sort of brocade jacket, but it was black, so it was kind of hard to tell if it was like brocade or jacquard or embroidery. But it was black, and then he had a vest, and he was wearing a cravat. So oh, that's great! Way to be it stylish. Was, it was very stylish. Um, but beyond that, more importantly, mm-hmm. his tempos were much faster than you tend to get on average with Don Giovanni. So mm. after the big chords in the overture, <laughs> as soon as he started the rest of the the piece where you have all those like, or the rest of the overture, you have those ascending and descending lines. And then you have a lot of repeated notes in the orchestra, in the strings, it's like, right if you Mm -hmm. go really fast it's hard to get all those out really cleanly and you notice the tempo and so right out of the gate uh i felt like wow his tempos are quite peppy Mm -hmm. and i really liked it because there was just persistent persistent energy the whole time like there was like a bubbling energy underneath and so I really appreciated his tempo choices. Mm-hmm. And of course, the orchestra sounded phenomenal. So, right. Uh, always yeah. Met Orchestra, fantastic. Always. The Met Orchestra is the luxury car of orchestras. They are the Porsche, the mm-hmm. Lamborghini, the Tesla, if you will, <laughs> of orchestras. So, <laughs> they are amazing. And that's saying a lot. Yes. <laughs> we hold our Teslas in high regard. We do, indeed. <laughs> so, wow, all that all. is my, yeah, my Don Giovanni story, um, which I guess took a lot longer to tell than, um, than I thought it would. However, I think it was a performance for the ages. It was broadcast on the radio. Um, so because of that, it's possible that it would go on Met On Demand, which is their oh, um, their streaming service from the Met. So you might be mm-hmm. able to catch it that way. Um, I'm not 100% sure if they're going to put it up there or not. But um, it was also broadcast on Sirius XM. So if there's archives of that, you might be able to find it. But Very nice. Yeah. Well... I do have to bring something up that maybe you're not prepared to deal with. Uh oh. <laughs> Lay but it on me. Do you have any thoughts in your mind of like, wow, that was so amazing. I'm never going to see another Met performance that is this good. Hmm. Not until this moment did you think that? <laughs> I. The thought never crossed my mind. Mm hmm. So, yes, I think that I saw something very truly special last night. I think it's rare that casts like this come along. But mm-hmm. I think that a cast like this proves that, like, singing makes the opera what it is in many mm-hmm. ways. And it's, of course, more than just singing. You need a fantastic orchestra. You need the maestro with the vision and the guidance. And you need singers that are dedicated to a particular interpretation. But... I think an amazing cast of singers can make any night at the opera good, regardless of what the score is, regardless of what the set is, the costumes, Mm -hmm. um, regardless of how crazy your commute was getting there or (laughs) how long you have to travel to get home again. I feel like a good cast of singers that is that perfectly balanced is a very special thing. And it's something that I think we all want to happen all the time. Um, But it's chemistry between the singers as well, right? And so I think that it's certainly possible and probable that casts like this will come around again. There are performances that I missed this season that I'm very sad that I missed Mm -hmm. because they were casts that I heard amazing things about. 
mm-hmm. uh, similar to this. But for me, I feel like this will be the bar that I hold everything else up to. And it will be an exciting day when something surpasses it. I can tell you that. But for now, it's my new, it's my gold standard. The That's January great. 30th, 2019 Don Giovanni. Mm. And yes, I'm keeping my playbill. <laughs> yeah, you are. You need to get a frame. Well, thank you all listeners for going on this ride and reliving this magical performance. Hopefully you feel like you were there as well. And uh, you know what would be fun is if on, well, let's say Facebook, uh, <laughs> we had comments from you all on what your most favorite opera experiences are. Um, you know, the one performance yes. that you had that just really stands above all the rest. We would love to hear that. For sure. It's got to be different and magical for everybody. So sometimes things just touch you in a way that you can't always put into words. Obviously, I had a lot of words for this one. But But if you can describe that magical night at the opera, that's like your best night at the opera, we'd love to hear it. I'm going to laugh when now we have like paragraphs and paragraphs of comments about... (laughs) Every, I, well, that's the thing. I mean, it, when you t- experience something like that, you have a lot to say about it. So You do. You do. So that's good. So the only thing missing from this glorious retelling of Naomi's best night at the opera, of mm. course, is our beloved Elspeth. That's uh, right. not joining us today, but she'll be back with us next week uh, as we continue on our Opera After Dark journey Uh, We should also mention that we have done a full episode on Don Giovanni. (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) So make sure you you go back in the archives where we talk more specifically about this opera if you're unfamiliar and are wanting to fill in some of the gaps. Maybe we should have led in with that. (laughs) (laughs) We probably should have, but we'll put that in the little description. This this episode was not about plot or music, really. Um, More about the performance, but yes. The music's amazing. Exactly. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'm Kyle. I'm Naomi. And with us in spirit is Elspeth. And thanks for listening to Opera After Dark. Bye. Thank you.